But um, this is not only the picture of how every one of us comes to Christ in helplessness, but it's also the stance that we stay in with Christ. Okay, It's one that we stay helpless in His hands, never bringing anything in our hand as a reason that He should accept us. And sometimes this happens for us as believers is that we... We kind of think, well, he forgave me all of this at the beginning, but now after so long, if I still have done some things, I've got to kind of make that up on my own, you know. And we get on a performance basis with God, and we fall back into a kind of legalism, earning his favor, trying to do the right thing. And so on a given day, if you're, say, you're going to witness to somebody or you have an opportunity to witness somebody, a lot of times it depends on how good you did that day. You know, like if you had a good day, you had a quiet time, you feel like you're near to the Lord, then you think, well, I deserve to witness. But then if you don't and you had fell into some things that day, you think, well, gosh, the Lord is against me today. There's no way I could be, it'd be appropriate for me to, to, to witness or whatever. So we get on this performance with God and even think that we've got to make up for something for a few days before God can deal with us again. Instead of always, always, always coming like this, Anytime we fall into sin, Lord, just as I am. I'm not, I'm not holding anything back. I'm coming to you. Even if I've been a believer for years and it's, it's so excuseless that I did this, yet I still come to you helpless. Always in that stance. Never drifting into a uh, performance basis with God. We're always helpless. We're always clinging to Him for grace. That's our only stance before God. Okay, so that's, uh, that's the firm foundation, the, the basis of our, our life with him, and it never stops, it never changes. So, as we look then, you know, there's the beginning of our life um, in union with Christ. Now, how does it look? You know, here's the beginning. I'm moving from... A world of sin and condemnation and, and judgment and death into union with Christ, which means grace and favor and life uh, and, and, and eternal life and, and, and no fear of judgment. So I've been moved into this life. How do I live? Okay. How do I live out this life in Christ? In union with Him. So that's what we're talking about now. And our third question that we ask uh, and as part of your public profession, my public profession, as our particular church has it, is this, do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ? And while that's a good question, we feel like it doesn't really, you know, we need to explore that. What does that, that really mean? Because uh, it, it can sound like, Okay, I'm going, to just, I'm going to trust him and I'm just going to obey him. But there's a lot to it uh, that, that's important for us to understand. And of course, recently I've been preaching in Romans 6 to try to show that the basis for our living a new life is related to having been moved from this world to this world. You know, with all new connections, all new ruler, all new lordship, all new power in my life. I'm in a new world, a new creation in Christ. And that's how I'm able to live out a new life. So we want to explore some of that here. 
But I, first, just to show that obedience uh, is a necessity. You know, some sometimes there's the thought that well, at least I'm going to heaven. However, live my life, it doesn't really matter. And there was a big issue issue in American church, and some, in some places it's still around. Where, in fact, I was part of an organization in college uh, that would say you can belong to Christ and you're going to heaven, but you can still live your own life the way you want to. But at least you're going to heaven. You know, you're you're safe. You're you're not going to hell, but you're going to heaven. But then you might live your life for yourself, or you might live it for God. It's up to you. And Scripture would say if you end up supposedly saved, and you're still just going to live your life for yourself, then you're not really saved. Because you might ask, saved from what? You know, saved from a life of self? Saved from a life of sin? Obviously not, you know. So salvation isn't, in Scripture, it's not just saving you from judgment and hell, but saving you from a whole life orientation, you see. Saving me from my desires that are destructive, that that are bent on me. And saving me for a life under Christ's lordship where I live out his love in my life. That's salvation. That's rescue of my life. Not just getting a new stamp on me, so to speak. But I'm the same person I always was. And just headed for a different place. Well, that's not the way God works. He really rescues us inside and out. uh, From the world that we lived in to this world. Uh, So, uh, as I say here... It's a part of true faith, okay? If you entrust your life to Christ to rescue you from the guilt of sin, you'll also entrust your life to Christ to be your teacher and your king. If you're convinced of Christ's goodness and greatness, will you say to him, I'm not going to learn from you, I'm not going to obey you? Is that going to be our life? Lord, I want you to get me to heaven, but don't tell me what to do in the meantime. You know, it just... That's not true faith. That's, that's not entrusting our lives into Christ's hands, you see. Um, but he is, as we said, if you believe he's the Son of God, then you believe that he has the full authority to be obeyed. Um, and we see in his cross this wonderful, passionate protection and care and love. And you realize, gosh, if he would do that for me, He's one that I can entrust my life to. And if in the end we think, I don't want to trust my life to him, then we must not see his beauty. We must not see his glory. We must not see who he is. If in the end we think, you know, you're not worthy of my trust. You're not worthy of my obedience. Then there's a question as to whether we've even seen the goodness and greatness of Christ at all. Uh, Next paragraph. If you trust a doctor, you will follow her instructions, right? If you hire a consultant, you'll follow the consultant's advice. You hire a good decorator, you trust his advice, and you follow it. We obey the people we respect and trust, whether attorneys or lawn and garden experts or trainers or financial advisors, whomever, you see. And uh, obstinate disobedience is a true sign that we don't respect Christ, that we don't value Christ, that we don't trust Christ. And you can see how trust and obedience are interwoven in John 3. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But then look, the synonymous word. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. So John is able to say, believe, obey. Basically, it's the same thing. You know, 
If you trust him, you'll obey him. If you obey him, you must trust him. And he just uses those words interchangeably. So I want to say it's a part of true faith. To say I trust Christ means I trust him with my life. Okay, And then another thing that shows us obedience is not optional, but it's necessity, is that repentance is not optional in Scripture. Okay, The word repent... Uh, mean it's metanoia, uh, metamorphosis. We know that word meta means change. Um, But it means to have a change of mind. And so it means an inside-out change. Okay? Um, Metanoia. Okay? So, uh, So a change of mind. And a change from the inside out, that means a change of direction in my life. But it's not just external, you know, like I change a few outside things that I do because this is a change of mind and heart. It's an inside-out change that changes the direction of my life. That's what repentance is in Scripture. So it means to change uh, if a person... uh, has repentance. As I say here, she changes her mind about Christ. She changes her mind about God and about her purpose for life, about her reason for living, about her future on earth, uh, about the ultimate authority in her life, about church and worship and the people of God. That's a big word to change everything, basically, to change the way I live and think and the way I feel, the things I love. And so on page 60, we see that Repentance is always required in becoming a Christian. Um, We've already seen that it's a natural part of faith, and repentance is always included with faith, like two sides of a coin. Um, And sometimes one is mentioned, and sometimes the other is mentioned. Sometimes it's both. Like in Mark 1, Jesus, uh, John, I mean, this is Jesus saying, John had been taken into custody. And Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel, both things. Uh, but then in Luke 5, all he says is, I've come not, not uh, to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He doesn't even mention faith. But repentance is mentioned for both of them. Luke 13 talks about the necessity of repentance. In Luke 24, he's, when he tells them what they're to proclaim, he says repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. He doesn't even mention faith. Of course, faith is the thing that's most central, perhaps, but, but he mentions repentance because it is so critical, and he can, he can name one for the other. So faith and repentance are just seen as one thing, and sometimes... He'll name this whole thing repentance. Sometimes he'll just name this whole thing faith because they're always together. Um, But you can see in these passages how critical repentance is. It can be even the top of 61, a summary of what Paul did everywhere he preached. He says, I started uh, Damascus and Jerusalem through Judea, all, all to the Gentiles, that they should repent Turn to God and perform deeds appropriate to repentance. Paul could summarize his whole ministry as I preached repentance and living out that repentance. Now, does it mean he didn't preach faith? Because he says in Romans, faith is the central thing. He doesn't even mention repentance in Romans. 
think. That's odd that he would summarize his whole ministry as repentance, but never mention it in Romans, which is the way he, uh, or mention it rarely. He does mention it, but it's not in the major, uh, the first part where he talks about how one is saved. He, he talks about faith. But it just shows you that they're, they're seen as one and the same thing. And so we can't, repentance, turning this direction in our life is not optional. It has to happen. And so if we say, well, I'm just trusting in Jesus to get me to heaven, but there's no change in our life, then that's a, a clear sign that we're not really rescued yet if, if we don't have any repentance. And then thirdly, notice um, these passages where Christ calls his people to radical obedience. And the apostles say the same. Luke 9, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now that doesn't sound like Jesus is saying, Hey, it doesn't really matter how you live. Just trust me and I'll get you to heaven. Okay? That's just not what he's saying. He says, This is it. If you're going to be mine, if if you're going to be a believer... This is what it will entail, denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following me. This is what it is. This is the, this is the Christian life, so to speak. Um, same thing in Matthew 10. We can't love anything more than him. So for a person to say, well, I live my life like I want. I love whatever I want to love, but I'm still going to heaven. The Lord would say, absolutely not. Um, in fact, verse 39 there, if only those who have lost their lives for my sake will truly find their lives. So every believer is basically giving up his life for Christ, to, for Christ to do with him whatever, and, and we find our lives that way. Um, <clears throat> so down, look, skip a passage. And I urge you to read and think through all of these. But John 14, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. And, of course, a believer is not going to be marked by not loving Christ. You know, I've got the name of Christ, but here's, you know, I really don't love him, and I really don't obey him, but I think I'm going to heaven. And I've heard many people say, when I'll be talking to them and say they're 35 years old and the guy will say, uh, well, I don't, I don't need to talk to you about that Jesus stuff because I took care of that when I was 12 years old. I came down front and I prayed to receive Christ. And so I said, well, what it, do you, are you a part of a group of Christians? Do you read the scriptures? Do you worship with people? Do you, you know, what? No, no, I don't do any of that. But, you know, when I was 12 years old, I came down front. You know, it's like, no, that's not the way it works. You know, that's not Christianity. It may have been a religious experience of some kind, but that's not Christianity. Um, it's a transformation that occurs. So, uh, notice what John says in this uh, paragraph toward the bottom. Uh, <clears throat> Though we can't be perfect, we're supposed to have a fundamentally obedient life. And John says, if we, we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, it's not that we're sinless, okay? It's not that we are perfect, not at all. If we say we're sinless, then we're deceiving ourselves. But it, there must be sincere obedience. Uh, there must be obedience, and always it's under this umbrella of His forgiveness. 
It's interesting, our uh, and his favor. It's interesting, even in our confession, when it talks about our good works, it says, really, we never have a good work that's perfect, you know, has perfect motive, perfect purity. We never do. But it says, just like I am accepted in Christ, my good works are accepted in Christ. So it's encouraging that as I give myself sincerely to obedience, even though nothing I do can be perfect, it's all acceptable before Christ. And He favors me and smiles upon me even with the frail effort of my life. And that's encouraging, you know, that your whole life is under His forgiveness and favor. And you see, there's room then for growth. There's the comfortable thing that I can you know, continue to grow and grow and grow because I'm always under His favor. And it gives you the freedom to examine your life. Because, you know, if I find stuff in there, it's not going to reject me because I'm forgiven in Christ. I'm accepted in Christ. It gives me an atmosphere, a world of favor and forgiveness in which to examine myself, to change, to grow, to continue to offer up myself even though I'm not perfect. And all the time, I'm in His favor. That's a wonderful thing. And, it, and really, being under His forgiveness and favor is what helps us to really change our lives. Because we're not hiding anymore. We're not playing games anymore, making excuses anymore. Because we don't have to be performance basis to try to earn His favor. We have His favor in Christ, and it le- allows us to be recklessly honest about our lives. And to search ourselves. And to be honest with one another. You know, husbands and wives, that's a critical thing to be honest about my sin that I've committed against you. And I don't have to guard myself or protect myself or, you know, push myself ahead of you or above you because I'm accepted in Christ. So, but that's, it's getting a little off track there, but that's part of it. Okay, on page uh, 62, after saying, if we say we have no sin, We're deceiving ourselves, John. He goes on to say, top of 62, by this we know we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. And again, not perfectly. That's why I keep stressing this right here. And that's why I even put on the page before, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Okay, so it's not that I'm perfect. I must even admit constantly that I've still got sin in my life, because I do. But there's a sincere, changed effort on the part of a believer because of God's salvation. I want to entrust myself to Jesus. I want to follow Him. I want to keep His commandments because of what He's done for me on the cross. Um, I love the way it's put in, uh, which we're going to use this in worship this morning, but in 2 Corinthians 5, he died so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but live for him. And that's the fundamental change that occurs. These other passages right here just make it very clear, as the other ones I have listed there, of uh, that obedience is not an optional thing. It must be a part of our lives. Okay. So here, just uh, I call this on page 63, some ABCs about growth in Christ. And the point number one is basically this idea that all of my life is carried out under the favor 
and and forgiveness of of Christ. And if you want to draw in this uh, box down here at the bottom, it just means uh, I, I have in mind there to uh, you know draw you basically this kind of thing, so that. And, of course, some of those dips could be pretty bad, actually, in your Christian life. But a fundamental growth in your Christian life. But notice at the top of the page, acceptance. That doesn't change from here to here. Or at the final day when you're made perfect. You are accepted all the time. And it's not as though acceptance is a line right here that dips and goes up. You know, like those... uh, uh, peers that are sitting on the water and they just go up and down with the water. Like, so his acceptance, if you had a really good day, he really accepts you today. You had a bad couple of days, eh, you're not very accepted. You know, well, that's not the way it works. Fully accepted, always accepted, always under the favor of God. That's the only way we'll ever grow in Christ. Both the motivation to give yourself to Him because you're so loved by Him and the freedom to work on your life because you're loved and accepted by Him. Everything depends on this beginning of understanding I'm forgiven and accepted. And that's why at the top of the page I have that little box with me in it and Christ surrounding you. And that should be your picture. When you pray to God, when you live throughout your any day of your life in any uh, legitimate activity to say, I am in Christ. The favor that God has for Christ, He has for me. God's acceptance of me is based on God's acceptance of Christ, for I am in Christ. Okay? So, uh, the word union, in fact, you'll see it in Scripture. How many times will you see in Christ or in Him. Okay? Though Paul may not use the word union a lot in his writings, he talks about the union over and over and over because he's always saying, in Him, in Christ, in Him, in Christ. Which means, united to Him, this is what we have. So, that has helped me so much to think however accepted the Lord Jesus is, and you can't deny, I don't think anybody in here would say, well, I don't think the Father loves the Son. I don't think the Father's pleased with the Son. Of course. And and when you see at the baptism of Christ or on the Mount of Transfiguration when the Father says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, then you and I kind of need to get behind Jesus at that point and say, hey, that's said to Jesus, but I'm in Jesus. I'm connected to Him that's said to me too now. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm within that pronouncement because I'm joined to Christ. That should be a comforting thing to us uh, to see the Father say that to His Son because in Him, He's saying it to us as well. Top of page 64. <clears throat> um, this, of course, is the basis for our loving one another as well. Um, Colossians 3 Bear with one another, forgive one another. Whoever has a complaint, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Same thing with these other passages. So, my understanding of forgiveness and favor also is the basis for my love to other people. I love because He first loved me. 
That's what 1 John 4.19 there says. So even our relationships with one another, the way we bear with one another and show kindness to one another and forgive each other and serve each other and give ourselves away to each other, that's all based on this forgiveness. And so if I'm not experiencing forgiveness and favor, if I'm not tasting it, it's not affecting me and amazing me and drawing me after it, how is that going to pour out of my life? No way. I can't be on a performance basis with God. Interestingly, people that are on a performance basis with God, they put people on a performance basis with them. It just always happens. You know, If you feel like you're under God's thumb, you put other people under your thumb. Or you're so insecure around people, you can't give to them, you can't serve them because you're just trying to protect yourself from them because you don't feel like you're accepted by God. So this love and favor is critical for growth, for examination, for my worship of God, and for my love to other people. That's why we just keep harping and harping and harping on it. Because that's the root of your life in Christ, is that acceptance and favor that you have in Christ. And of course, it didn't come easy. It came through the absolute horrible suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross. God has gone to the most extreme lengths to bring us into that place of favor. It's amazing. It's just amazing that he would do this. Now, secondly, and this is what I've been saying in worship the last several weeks. And you see Romans 6 down there is part of uh, this teaching. So it's just the other passages to bring in on it. But we grow by believing we are made new in Christ. By believing what we are in Christ. And you've heard me in that bottom passage in verse 11. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Okay, That's a command to believe that, to judge myself in that new condition. That gives you a lot more strength and determination and expectation and confidence that to, to live out your life because you realize you're in a new situation. I love the passage. I love all these. I love the Word of God, okay? So, don't you love me saying, I like this verse as opposed to that one, you know? Or something like, oh, this is one he likes. Let's mark it. It's a good one, you know? So, but uh, but uh, the one right above it where he says, um, from he who believes in me, and you think of that, helplessly trusts in me, okay? depends on me as the scripture said from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water and i love the innermost being part of that okay that's so important and it was many years really before i I understood that because this is kind of let's say this is the water okay and uh i kind of think of my heart down here at the bottom and at the root of my heart is just evil only evil and the holy spirit's kind of floating on top of my life but the real me is down here you know the real inner part of me is down here and it's all bad now paul does say there is nothing good that dwells in me that is my flesh but he qualifies it you see that is my flesh and here jesus says in your innermost being will flow rivers of living water And it says in the next verse, he was talking about the Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit is not just floating on top of my life. The Holy Spirit is at the root of my life. From my innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That is encouraging. 
at the root of what I think and feel and, and my motives, my affections, at the root, God is healing me and changing me. That is, that is miraculous. You know, it can't, it's like being, you know, fixing a blind man's eyes. I can't fix that. How do you reach down into your innermost being and fix yourself? You can't. Uh, it's like Jeremiah says, can a leper change his spots? Can a man change his skin color? He can't do that. And so he says, you can't change your pattern of doing evil, Israel. But God does because he puts his spirit at the root of our being. That's encouraging. And if you start praying along those lines, see, and recognizing that and saying, Lord, I'm struggling with anger or I'm struggling with lust, but Lord, you have put your life at the root of who I am. I pray, enable me to live that out. Enable me to manifest this new life that I have through your Holy Spirit. That's a different way than just saying, Lord, help me be different. You see, you're recognizing all that he has done for you and you're you're laying hold of that and you're declaring it to be true and you're trusting in it and you're living that out in your life. That's why it's amazing those first few verses under that section that he talks about the new self that's been created in the image of God. How in the world? And this this really is talking about the, uh, as we talked about some on Sunday morning, it's talking about the old self or the old life or even kind of the old creation that I was a part of and lived in and now I'm new self but it's actually created in the image of God in this new creation which I have listed there too I think 2 Corinthians 5.17 I'm in the new creation with the new self it's created in the image of God that, that really means there's amazing potential for me to live out a whole new life. But a part of Christianity is not, it's, it's not simply, okay, you're forgiven, go live differently. It's okay, you're forgiven and you're remade and you're in a whole different situation, whole new creation, live out your new life that you have in Christ. <clears throat> okay? And along those same lines, uh, and this ties in with John 7, we grow by depending on the power of and spirit of Christ. Uh, he talks about his weakness there in 2 Corinthians 12 and how the power of Christ is dwelling in him even though he is weak. Uh, Ephesians 3, to him who's able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Now, the first part of that you might say, now to him who's able to do far more than all we ask or think, we might think, well, yeah, he makes the suns, he, he makes the galaxies, everything's so big, he's, he's stronger than I can imagine. But that's not what Paul's talking about, that last phrase, according to the power that works within us. So that is encouraging. He's able to do way more in your life than you can even imagine. That's what Paul's saying. This is the power that is working within you. It's the very power of God. Why would he tell you that unless he wanted you to know it and believe it, right? Why would he say that? So that you'll understand this is the power that is toward me. And, and, it, and it's beyond what I can imagine. And even in my weakness, as the passage above says, even at, when I'm the most helpless, his power can work in me. That is encouraging. And the next verse, Philippians 12 
It's God who's working in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, the will part is so important, isn't it? To want to do his will and to do his will. He's working to do that. That's my hope. And we're to believe those things. The passages I have listed there are all important and and would enrich your life as you uh, read them and and trust them and live those out as well. So... Uh, to continue there, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, which in the Old Testament, you know, the temple was the place where the glory of God shone forth. And now to think that you're the temple where the glory of God is going to shine forth, that's an amazing thing, uh, that you've become the dwelling place. And the next passage talks about that very thing, that we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Uh, Jesus Christ and the Spirit are almost identified there because the Lord Jesus gives His Spirit to change us. Um, And so they're almost called by the same name there because they work so closely together. So taking those two passages together... You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple shows forth the glory of God. In the next passage, he says, you're being transformed into that glory by that Spirit. And, of course, we know the fruit of the Spirit, the character development that comes. This is all the work of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. The Spirit brings this about in our life. And Paul says in Romans 8, it's by the Spirit that we put sin to death in our life. Okay, so all the while we are seeking to live out our new life, we must bear in mind the work of the Spirit always. And we'll pick up, I've got to go, but we'll pick up on page 66 uh, to continue this talk about the Spirit. Um, And we we will meet only two more times, the 23rd and the 30th, uh, and this class is over and a lot of this obviously uh, I give it to you as something for the future for you to read as and when you want um, but um, we will at least get through this section and talk some about our mission statement uh, as a church and then the rest of it is like the past the paper on election and things like that are things you can just read on your own uh, if you want and then we'll be lining up interviews um, in June with the elders with each of you and Steve Fultz will call you about that so if you haven't turned in this uh, thing at the front the uh, yeah I don't have it so this thing I'm holding up something that's not that uh, but yeah it's the membership profile uh, if you would still fill that out and uh, turn it into uh, the office. I'd appreciate it. Do you need me? We have misplaced our membership. Program. Oh, uh, <laughs> just call Cynthia and she'll get you, or you can even see her today and she'll get you another one. Yeah. If you don't have one. Yes, sir. Yeah, you can fill the whole thing out because you've got your new address. In transition, more or less. Won't you? Yeah. Yeah, that'll be great. In the next couple of weeks, if you would. Okay? 
Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the glorious relationship that you give us with yourself through the precious work of your Son. To think that he suffered so much to bring us so much. And thank you that we're in a relationship of favor in Christ. And it's a relationship in which there's uh, the amazing potential for transformation inside and out of our lives. You lay hold of us, Lord, and by your grace, you'll never let us go. It's all our hope. It's, it's all we have. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.